Welcome to the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss important topics for buyers, sellers, and investors in the Toronto area real estate market. Here's your host, Randy Selzer. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my YouTube channel and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. David Corman is here. He is a managing partner with Corman's LLP, which is a prominent law office here in the city of Mississauga. Welcome, David. So nice to have you on board. Well, thank, thanks so much, Randy. And uh, it's it's really nice to be with you. We, uh, I think we've known each other for quite a number of years, worked together for quite a number of years before there was ever such thing as a podcast, that's for sure. You got that right. Yeah, it's been many And, years. and now a couple guys like me and you, that a couple veterans, as I like to refer to us, have now figured out how to do podcasts. How about that? It's pretty scary, let me tell you. But uh, and you, I will say, I'm just going to mention. Not only are you a very prominent lawyer, but you also have a very prominent uh, podcast and your own YouTube channel, which is called David and David, uh, which is an excellent channel, and I urge everybody to check it out. I'm going to put a link to your channel and to your podcast underneath uh, the video today, so people can check you out for sure. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're it's very fun welcome. to do these. It is. It really is. And. Uh, so today, we're going to talk about something very interesting you and I have discussed a little bit. And this is both uh, for buyers and for sellers and for realtors. What do you do if you have a firm deal, a firm agreement of purchase and sale that doesn't close? What do you do? If you're a seller and you sold your house a couple of months ago and you're expecting to be getting the money and moving out uh, tomorrow. And what do you do when you get a call from the lawyer saying the buyers don't have the money, they can't close? What do you do? What do you do if you're a buyer? And all of a sudden you find out that you've signed this binding contract, and I'm gonna mention to all the listeners today that agreement, uh, an agreement of purchase and sale is a contract, it's a binding contract. What do you do if the bank says, we're not going to give you the money. What's going to happen? And this, I will mention one thing. I'm going to turn this over to you in just a minute because I've said this on many other uh, recordings. I tend to ramble a lot, and but you are definitely the expert here, and I'm going to learn a lot from you, I'm sure, today. Uh, but what do you do if this situation arrives? It can happen in a booming market when prices are going up, although it's pretty rare, but it can also happen in a type of market that we're in today where things have slowed down considerably and prices are going down or falling a bit. And that creates some stresses, especially for buyers and with rising interest rates. So what do you do when this happens? So when I thought about this topic, I thought about you instantly. And thank you for being here again. Like I said, I'm going to turn it over to you because this, what, what most people, and I, I will mention to you that my audience is, is primarily uh, consumers. Although there are a lot of realtors that listen in, it's primarily consumers. So what they usually say is, well, then the lawyers get involved and you know, that sort of thing. But I think today we're going to provide a lot of value. I know we are for those, uh, for our listeners and people who are watching the channel today. So take it away, sir. Well, thanks, Randy. But, and, and you know, from, you know, from just the way the market's going right now, it's unfortunate that this has to be a topic even, but yeah. it, it is the topic that everybody wants to talk about now. It's, it's what real estate agents are contacting me and, and the other lawyers in my office, but all the time, it's what consumers, you know, potential buyers and sellers are, are talking about all the time. So, so the focus is, you know, what we're really going to talk about is like you said, firm transactions, meaning they're under contract. We've got an agreement of purchase and sale already, and there's no more conditions. 
So right. that's why it's we consider it firm. Like there may have been a condition on financing, condition on inspection, condition on reviewing a status certificate or whatever. Those have all been waived and we're moving to close. Everybody's just expecting to close in the normal course. And, and in most markets, we just proceed to close. But in the current market, we're running into some issues even after everybody's waived all the conditions and now we get close to closing and all of a sudden people can't close. So that creates a lot of anxiety in the market. I'm sure, Randy, you're dealing with that with clients because we're, we're getting those questions. Even though we got a, no reason to think that their transaction will not close, everybody wants to have the discussion. Right. Well, what if I'm selling, but what if my buyer doesn't come up with the money that day? What if he can't close? What do I do then? Man, you are right on the money. That is exactly the situation we're in today. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's not like the buyer in a, in a situation where at the last minute, the bank denies their funds or requires them to maybe chip in a large amount of extra money. Uh, it's not really their fault. It's just timing uh, where interest rates have gone up. I believe this year they've gone up seven times in a row. Um, and, you know, we've gone from a, an overnight rate of like 0.25% to, I don't even know what it is today, 4.25 or 4.75. I don't even know, but it's huge. Seven increases in a row. And some people have got caught. They got stuck. So what do you guys do when you get a call? Let's say you're representing uh, the seller and it's the deal which was sold two months ago uh, or three months ago. And you get a call from the buyer's lawyer saying, we got a problem. Uh, we're not going to be able to close. What, what do you guys do? Yeah, well, the important thing, the way I look at it, is to understand what the legal rights of the parties are. Okay. You know, what, what's the seller's legal right when something like that happens? What can he do? What are the possible options and remedies that he might have if his buyer is going to default on him? Because basically that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a breach of the agreement of purchase and sale. They're not going to be able to close on time. So therefore, you know, the agreement will be at an end unless the parties negotiate something else. And the same thing if you're on the buyer's side, you know, like what's the buyer's rights? What, what can the buyer do? What are the options? So I always go from the starting point. It, everybody has to understand what the legal rights are right. first. Okay. So it's important to know that. So I'm always talking to agents about that. I talk to consumers about that because you got to get a basic understanding of that. And then after you understand that part of it, the way I look at it and, and, and the other lawyers in my office and, and the way we try and, and do it is we don't want to stand on our strict legal principles. Because if if someone can't close and the deal doesn't, you know, they can't close on time, deal's at an end, it, this is going to go to litigation. The parties can sue each other and take their remedies that way. That doesn't really do anybody any good you other can, than the litigation lawyers. Right. It can take years, years. Right. It, it's a long, up. drawn out process, a right. lot of uncertainty. You don't know what you're going to recover and everything. That's not what everybody is really looking to do. So I'm always trying to find a, a practical solution to find a way to get the deal closed. So if we're acting for an innocent seller that's done nothing wrong, but their buyer has a problem, right? I wanna you know, go through what the legal rights of the seller are, but my advice to them and the agents dealing with them is, okay, let's see if there's a way to get this deal now off the rails. Let's see if we can get it back on the rails. Let's see if there's a way without it costing the seller money and hopefully we can keep them, them whole, but see if there's a way to still get the transaction closed. Because at the end of the day, that's always a better option than to just blow the whole thing up and and, and everybody go to court and and well, you know and fight over it through the litigation lawyers. David, I'm with you, man. Um, I've always felt, and I know 
a lot of lawyers after 28 years in, in real estate. Um, I've always felt that the best lawyers are the problem solvers. They're the guys that are always looking or the guys or the gals who are always looking for a solution, uh, no matter what area of law we're dealing in, but specifically something like this. Uh, the other thing I'm going to say, and again, I'll shut up shortly, but uh, in my long career, I've only had this happen to me twice where I had a firm deal that we got the call that they, they don't have the money or they can't get the money or there's a problem. Uh, and in both cases, we were able to solve the problem by, by giving the, the buyer an extension both times. Um, now, but that's just my limited experience. You probably did that yesterday. So um, yeah. and that's my experience in 28 years. It only happened twice. Thank goodness. So anyway, so, and the, the first question that most buyers I'm sure are going to ask is what about my deposit? You know, we paid a large deposit. Uh, whether it, it won an MLS sale or there's could also be a new, a new property from a builder. We paid a large deposit. What's going to happen to my deposit if I don't close. So, right. There you go. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a, a, a real important question. So I can explain it this way. The, the basic principle is, you know, like why do you pay a deposit in the first place? You know, and, and, the, and the reason is because, you know, that's where you're putting your money where your mouth is if you're a buyer. Right. Okay. You're, you know, the property gets exposed to the market, MLS or whoever it's going to be, you know, everybody's giving Randy the listing, you're selling it. A buyer come along and sometimes there's more than one buyer. But it doesn't matter if we're in that multi-offer market that we were in a while ago that, that you know, that doesn't exist for the most part, except in a few occasions now, or if it's just, you know, the, the, just a normal market and someone comes to put an offer in. So when you want to put an offer in, you're, you're, you're signing an agreement of purchase and sale. Let's say it's today, December 16th, and you're going to close on January 30th or something. So, so now you're tying up that property. Once you sign that agreement and put a deposit down, the seller can't sell to anybody else. It's as simple as that. Okay. Right. It's under contract. It's you're tying up that property for the next six weeks until you can close the transaction. So that's why you put a deposit down to show that you've got good faith. You've got skin in the game. So you're putting up your deposit, whatever it is, it's held in trust by the, by the, your brokerage. Right. And, and that'll be a credit to you on closing. So if it was a million dollar purchase and you put down $50,000 or whatever the deposit was that goes to your brokerage's trust account and the, and the buyer will get a credit for that on closing and they have to pay the other $950, $50,000 on December, on January 30th to, to close. Okay. Right. So it's what if they don't close? So the general principle is if they don't close, they lose that $50,000. Okay. Because they just paid 50 to tie up that property until closing. So if the, they don't close, if it doesn't close because it's the buyer's fault, not the seller's fault, if the buyer's fault, they, they never get that deposit back. Okay, so that's why I know you as an agent are always trying to get as much of a deposit as you possibly can, Absolutely. because you want to make sure your buyer's committed. And if the right. buyer only put a, a $10,000 deposit on a million dollar property and had second thoughts or something, you know, they might consider walking away from that. If they got a $100,000 deposit, they're a lot more committed and they're not going to walk away too soon. So any buyer out there has to understand once you commit to that, you sign the agreement, you put your deposit down, you're not getting that deposit back. You close the deal, you get a full credit for it. You don't close, seller's going to keep that money. Absolutely. And um, something that I've had to explain a few times in my simple way, 
uh, with a buyer. If it's a conditional offer and it's conditional on finance and they give their deposit, the finance or they change their mind for any reason or if it's a status certificate, whatever. <clears throat> and But it's not firm. It's a conditional offer. In that case, they do get their money back if they decide not to proceed with the contract. Yes. But once they've signed a waiver or once they've signed that uh, fulfillment of condition, then it's a firm contract. And if they do not close, guess what? They lose their deposit. Right. So, so what happens to that deposit? Does the realtor take the money and go to Vegas or uh, if they, if they yeah. fail to close? Unfortunately, it's bad news for the realtors. <laughs> yes, it is. Because if it doesn't close, the realtors don't get paid. Right. Okay. You know, that deposit money, if it, if it closes that deposit money or some of it may be used to pay the commission to the seller's agent, to the buyer's agent, if commissions are being split, if it doesn't close, that money goes to the seller eventually. Right. Okay. Eventually that'll be go to the seller. It's not going to go back to the buyer unless for some reason the seller in other generosity decides to give it or some of it or all of it back to the buyer, but they have no legal obligation to do that. No judge would ever require them to give the money back. Again, we're just assuming this is just the buyer's default. Buyer couldn't close and the seller was ready to close. Okay. So, so that money's gone and there's no commission payable because unfortunately you guys only get paid yeah. upon successful completion. The transaction has to close in order for you to get paid. That is so true. <laughs> Okay. Now, I've got some other bad advice uh -oh. for, for any buyer out there that Here. contemplates not closing. Here we go. <laughs> bad news. Yeah. In addition to that deposit, they could be liable for some other damages to the seller. Right. Okay. Because they didn't close. So if they didn't close, the seller you know, was expecting to get that money on January 30th in that scenario. Now they got to go back. They go, Randy... We got to start over again. We got to stage our house again. We got to declutter. We have to do more showings. We got to get other people in. We got to sell it to somebody else, right? So now you're going to sell it a second time to somebody else. That second transaction, you know, maybe maybe it sits in the market. Maybe the market's quiet. Maybe it takes a long time to sell. Um, even if you sell it right away, the closing is going to be a month or two months later. So maybe you're not closing January 30th. Now you're closing, you know, March 30th or something like that. Right. And, and the price might be different. You know, sold it originally for a million. Now you're going to sell it in January. Maybe the market's gone down. Maybe it's only worth 900 at that time and it gets resold for 900. So that buyer that defaulted, in addition to losing their deposit money, that $50,000 they put up, they're, they could be liable for damages that the seller incurs to sell the property. So those damages could include that $100,000 deposit, sorry, not the deposit, that $100,000 difference in purchase price. Short, a, short, the a shortfall sale. in the price. So right. the, the, the seller effectively lost 100 grand on the right. sale. So right. he can recover that for, and by suing the 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 first buyer, the defaulting buyer, mm -hmm. and it's now going to close March thirtieth instead of January thirtieth. So he's got a, the seller has to pay interest on their outstanding mortgage and any loans they might have because they don't have use of the money. So there's they have interest charges during that period of time. They're still paying insurance on their property and utilities on their property and property taxes. So because they got to carry this property for another two months. So they can try and collect that all back from the defaulting 
buyer. And that can all be in addition to the buyer's $50,000 deposits. They could lose their 50. They might be liable for another 100,000 because of the shortfall. There might be another 20, 30, $50,000 in other carrying costs, legal fees for them defaulting can be included in that. There's all these costs that the, the seller can go after them for. Okay. So, you know, that's the way the system is set up. So it's never a good thing to default if you could avoid it. Absolutely. And uh, buyers need to understand that when they're signing that agreement of purchase and sale, that it is a binding contract. Absolutely. Especially when they waive conditions. Um, okay. Well, that's plenty of good news for the holidays. <laughs> um but it is, it is a fact. And I think, uh, are you seeing more of these now? Because the market's been going yeah. down basically since March. And I think a lot of people are uh, finding, and especially with the, the rise in interest rates where they may have qualified when interest rates were a point and a half. Now they're four and a half maybe or more. Um, or they can't pass the stress test, which I understand is up to around seven and a half now. Uh, and at the last minute, the banks uh, say no, or you got to come up with another hundred grand and they don't have it. So that is, that is a reality right now for some people, not for everybody. Yeah. Unfortunate. It, it's been a, a reality for quite a few people in the, you know, really all, all through fall, like since, uh, you know, since Labor Day to, to today, like we're just seeing way too much of that. And a lot of it, um, a lot of the, the buyers getting caught um, in this position. And a lot of times these are like innocent buyers. Like they're not, they have the best of intention to close their transactions. They were excited right. to buy these properties and everything, but certain circumstances have changed. And, and most of it is coming from, from their loan and their financing. And, and what, what's happened is a lot of times um, buyers or potential buyers are going on the advice of their agent and their mortgage to get pre-approved for a mortgage, right. which is the right thing to do. Yes. to make sure they're pre-approved. And so they do, and they get some written confirmation that they've been pre-approved. And sometimes there's even conditional offers we're seeing too, is conditional on financing, and then they, they get an approval, and then they waive the condition. What people are not doing sometimes as, as buyers is they're not really looking carefully enough at the terms of that mortgage approval. So sometimes they get, there's a mortgage approval, but it says you're, you've been approved, you're buying a property for a million dollars. Thanks for sending us a copy of the agreement. You're approved for a loan of $700,000 based on this value. But then there's fine print. And, and, and it says subject to certain conditions being met. And some of them are just underwriting conditions. They need to see their tax returns. They need to see a, a letters from an employment a letter confirming their employment, things like that. Um, sometimes they need to see what their source of down payment is in the bank. Like there's a whole bunch of conditions that might be there. Right. And sometimes the buyers just can't fulfill some of those conditions. So they've waived the condition. If they had a condition for financing or they've gone firm on a transaction because they thought they had a pre approval in hand, but they can't meet and fulfill some of those conditions. They can't get the money. So that's a problem. And sometimes what these mortgage approvals say is, okay, you 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 bought your, you went under contract, signed your agreement, let's say in September to buy for a million dollars, and uh, and the bank says, fine, we're approving you for loan for seven hundred thousand. But somewhere in that approval, it says the bank has the right to do an appraisal of the property 
prior to closing. Don't get me started on appraisals because here, here is the problem I have with the banks and I, uh, God bless them. God bless them. Uh, um, everybody thinks the bank is their friend that may or may not be entirely true. Um, well, they are when they give them the money. Well, this is true. Um, but when I go back to the beginning of the year, when we had such craziness going on at the end of last year with, you're absolutely right. There were bidding wars, every single listing that came out, there was 10 or 15 or 20 people bidding on that property, whether it's a condo or a house and ridiculously overbidding where it's a hundred thousand or 150,000 or 200,000 over the asking price. And yet by some miracle, every bank appraisal came in. Okay. You know, if you're, you're buying a, even a condo that's listed at 600 and you pay 850 for it on a percentage basis, that's huge, a huge over the asking price. And it would get approved. The appraisal would be fine. No problem. Now, are you kidding me? The banks are sending out their double checking. They are triple checking. Uh, there's no drive-by appraisals, man. These people are in the house. They're taking photos. They're giving full reports and they are being very tough because I guess the banks are a little bit nervous too. They don't want to uh, extend a loan on a property where they, the buyer in their view may have overpaid. So that's my little hot button right now uh, where the banks can just switch on a dime. And all of a sudden those appraisals, if you're a dollar over, you may have to chip in some more. Whereas in the past, nine or 10 months ago, you could come in 200,000 over asking and it was approved instantly. I just yeah. can't, I can't figure that out. That's yeah. me and my, my simple, I'm a simple realtor. I don't understand these high economic things, but that thing really bugs me because I know, and we used to worry, we'd say, man, these people have really overpaid. They better watch out because, and sure enough, they get their mortgage. No problem. Now it's a different. Yeah. Story. Yeah. But what, what happens, you know, as time goes by, the the lenders don't have confidence anymore right. that the fair That's market right. price that people paid in their green purchase and sale is that the price they paid turns out to be the fair market price. Because when we're in those bidding wars, and I'm using this example of the million dollar property, sometimes those properties, you know, got bid up to a million one or a million two. Like every agent that looked at it before, yep. just went on the market said, oh, this is worth a million bucks. Right. And then it gets listed for whatever. And there's multi offers coming in and there's very low supply and people want to, it's an attractive area or whatever. And all of a sudden the price gets pushed up to a million two. So the, the successful buyer goes to their bank and says, Hey, I bought this property, a million two. Here's a copy of my agreement. And the lender's going, Okay, well, because normally lenders would think whatever a willing buyer and a willing seller negotiate in a fair market a property exposed and a multiple listing that should that's the best indicator of market value right but now all of a sudden it's a million two so what happens when the market changes because it just got pushed up because of a bidding war but the real value is a million so now lenders some of the lenders are getting stuck because if it's a million two they're saying okay we're going to give you 70 percent of a million two okay so right. they're giving they're advancing a lot of money to help them close for that but maybe you know, two months later, the property is really only worth a million. Right. So now they've given out more money. So if the if the if their loan goes bad and there's a default and they have to sell the property, there's a good chance they're only selling it for a million. Right. Not a million two. So if they're selling it for a million, are they going to be able to recover the full amount of their loan plus in interest? plus their legal fees, plus the commission, plus outstanding property taxes and utilities, that's all becomes part of it. 
So they get concerned about maybe getting underwater. Maybe they, they, they lent too much money. We're lending based on the wrong values. So then lenders start saying, okay, we want to do an appraisal. We have the right to do an appraisal just before closing. So in the example I was giving, you bought in September for a million, now you're closing in December. There's a good chance that property that, that was really worth a million in September, it might only be worth 900000 today. So if they show up today for to do an appraisal and they say, hey, you know, we know we approved you for a million, but it's really worth nine hundred. So instead of giving you seventy percent of a million, we're only going to give you seventy percent of nine hundred thousand. I don't want to come off as being too hard on the banks because I do understand. Yeah, there are some risks, and they have their bottom line. They have to look after. And I will say that banks right now, right now, are bending over backwards with existing mortgage holders who have come up for a renewal. They're doing everything that they possibly can to find a solution. Again, they're problem solvers, whether it's extending amortization, because a lot of people on renewing mortgages right now are, are in shock because their payments have gone way up with the higher mm -hmm. rates. And the banks are, God bless them, they are bending over backwards to try to find a way to keep their customers afloat. So I don't want to come across as anti-bank. No, no, no. And I'm not either. Like, yeah, you know, we need sure. them. We do. And I, yeah. and I totally understand their position. You know, they want to lend based on on a fair market value. The struggle is what's the real fair market value? You know, is it the appraised value at the right. time of closing or is it what the parties agreed to pay, which may have been a month or two or three months prior to closing? So, you know, or somewhere. But the key is for a buyer, from a buyer's point of view, you just have to be very careful as to what your mortgage approval says. Because that's where some people have gotten in trouble. Because in that scenario that I just gave, all of a sudden we're a day or two before closing. The lender shows up, does a new appraisal, says we're only—it's only worth nine hundred thousand today. We're we're allowed under our mortgage approval to adjust the amount that we're we agree to lend you. So instead of giving you seven hundred thousand that you're expecting to get, we're only giving you six hundred and thirty thousand. And you got to come up with the seventy grand. And now in, you're seventy thousand short. And you got to a day or two to come up with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I know most people just say, "Hey, Randy, can you lend me seventy thousand? Oh yeah, close yeah, my right. deal. Uh, let me check here. Uh, yeah, right. I wish, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but if for you know, for a lot of people, that's a that's a real problem. Uh, you know, that's a real problem. Now, some people are lucky; they've got other resources, or they got friends or family they can borrow from, or or, or something like that. But for a lot of people, like, no, there isn't seventy thousand yeah. sitting somewhere. And that's a, that's a real problem. And that's why we have some of these trends that can't close. Are right. You, are you finding uh, problems with builders as well? Is this happening in the, the new construction market? A lot of people may have bought a condo three years ago before construction. And I know this was a popular uh, strategy for a lot of investors uh, where they weren't even particularly concerned about qualifying for a mortgage. They go out and buy three condos on a new yeah. development and it's going to be ready you know, three years from now, and they'll worry about that. Then if worst case scenario, they're going to sell it on assignment, you know, and now I think I'm hearing some rumblings that there are issues uh, with these uh, pre-construction, especially with condos that have such a long time frame. Yeah. Are you well, no, no, they're, they're struggling to, you know, as, as a matter of fact, uh, I was at the leaf scheme uh, earlier this week mm -hmm. and I bump into uh, an old buddy of mine who, who's a builder works, a builder kind of you know major builder mm -hmm. of detached homes and and they do some semis and okay and um you know all residential construction but it's mostly detached homes 
So, and, and I hadn't seen him for a while. So I said, like, you know, how you doing? How's, how are you guys handling right. this market? You know, we, we, we really wanted to talk about the Leafs, but we, we the conversation turned to the market too. And he just rolled his eyes. Uh-oh. And he said, we had three closings last week. Okay. Detached homes in the million six to million eight range. Okay. And he said, I was 0 for 3 last week on getting these three closed. Like all three buyers couldn't close what the transaction. And he said, Was this we've uh... already we've already looked at extensions with them? Like this is like we've we're at we've already extended. And you know, so so what are you gonna do? So he said, Well, you know, one of them is is really trying to get it closed. And we had a like a couple hundred thousand dollar deposit initially, and then we gave him an extension and they gave me another couple hundred thousand. Okay. So you know, like we know they've got lots of skin in the game. They're really trying, you know, so so we gave an extension and we're prepared to give that buyer a little more rope. Like they don't want to default them. They don't want to sure. pull the plug and just keep their deposit and sell to someone else. They're also trying to find a way to get the transaction closed. Wow. He says, on the other hand, I got another one. They haven't been able to close because they haven't been able to sell their property. Ah. And I said, well, yeah, you know, the market's the tougher to sell right now. So you're just giving them more time to sell. He says, well, you know, they're asking for it. So we, we asked them to give us some information. Like, what are you doing to sell? You show us, show us your, your listing, show us what you're doing, show us what your efforts have been. And the answer they, that they got back is, well, we're not on the market even. Like the market's not good. We don't want to sell right now because if we sell right now, we don't think we're going to get the price that we really want to get. So we're going to wait till the spring to sell our house. So just oh, give I us see. an extension till next spring because we think the market's going to improve next spring. We'll sell then for a higher price and then we'll be able to close with you. That's so not, he, that's not so good faith said, at all. Yeah. He said, no way. Yeah. You know, like no way. Like, you know, how do you know that the price is going to be better in the spring? It's, it's too no. bad. So sad for that buyer. He's got to sell his property now in today's market. Do the best you can. Sell it show this builder good faith that you're trying to sell. And he says, if they do that, we're prepared to give them a little bit of time to sure. sell it. Sure. So there's flexibility. If they're not making any effort. Can I ask you, was this in Toronto, these houses, or was yeah. it not 905? Was it in the city city of Toronto? Oh, um, it could have been out, just outside the GTA, but just outside the, the core. Okay, but in the GTA. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's zero for three in one week. Yeah. That's sobering. Yeah. So look, he says he knows his rights. He knows what he can do. He he can just terminate them right away, keep their deposit, right. um, sell to somebody else. But he's always going to sell it for a lesser purchase price. And there's going to be a time factor for him too. So he doesn't really want to. If there's a way to get, you know, his mindset's like mine. If there's a way to get the deal done, let's figure it out. Yeah. Okay. So on. So with one buyer who's trying to do it, trying to get their finance together, threw more money in. Exactly. So like, you know, they're really exposed. If it doesn't, if they don't close, he's going to give them some rope and give them some time and try and work with them and, you know, to try and find a way. The other one that's, that's not putting it on the market to selling his house on them, not even putting it on or listing it. it, he said, forget you. So they terminated that one. They sent him a letter. We're terminating you. We're keeping your deposit. We're going to sell it to somebody else. We're reserving our rights to sue you. That's a for lot damages. of money. I mean, we're talking usually what twenty percent from a builder. So twenty percent of one point six million or one point eight million—that's a lot of money. 
that that right. buy, that buyer could well not potentially lose. He's he's going to lose. Right, and and judges are are enforcing that. There was just a recent decision that that came down uh, you know, about a week or ten days ago, uh, where it was just this this scenario. It was a builder sale, buyer couldn't close, and there was something. In, there was at least a couple hundred thousand dollars in his deposits, and then the property did resell for significantly less money for a couple hundred thousand dollars less. Right. So the total, you know, the, the total loss to the buyer ended up being in the $400,000 range. And the, uh, the judge found it, it, in totally in favor of the builder said, you're entitled to keep all of it. You know, the buyer was trying to go through the lawsuit process, hoping to get some of that money back. Cause you got my deposit money. Plus you've got, all this for damages and the judge said you know too bad builder did everything right builder acted reasonable builder tried to give you some extra time wow you know acted in good faith builder did everything right you're in default you lose your deposit money and and you got to pay the builder back for these damages because you know they put it on the market they resold it they have there was evidence they that they you know made good efforts to you know reasonable efforts to sell and get the best price right when they resold because you have to at law you have to try and you have to it's a principle called mitigation of damages you got to try and keep the damages as low as reasonably possible so you have to you can't just accept an offer the next day from the first guy that comes along and say oh yeah it was a million but i'll sell it to you for 800 if you give me 800 because i can sue that buyer for the 200 uh, 000. that's nope. not the way it works you have to put it on the market and try and get whatever the fair market price is after right. you expose it you know what but if it ends up being eight hundred thousand, then that's so be it fair game that reminds me of the uh, power sales that we used to see so many of back when I started in the 90s. Uh, the banks were always so careful to leave a paper trail. And I could see that mitigation of damages where they wouldn't accept. Sometimes they just automatically turned on the first offer, uh, even if it was a reasonable offer, because they wanted there was some kind of procedure in place there where they needed a paper trail saying, hey, we did not give this away. Right. Uh, and so that just it just reminded me of that. Exactly. It's the same principles. They're better off having something in the file. No, we got an offer right away at this price. We've got that in our file. And then we kept going wow. with the process. And then nothing happened for a week or whatever. And then we got a second offer in and it was a similar price. And then we worked with that. And because you, you need that to show a judge if it actually goes there, that you, that you took reasonable steps to get a fair market price. Mm -hmm. And as long as you did that, if it turns out the fair market price is less than that original price, then then the seller's entitled to recover the difference. Do you find, I mean, you're a very senior guy in, in the industry. Um, do you find it? No, you are. You are. And um, do you find that there are young lawyers maybe who are not as experienced with this, who are not quite aware of what they should be doing? Um, because yeah. I know in as a realtor, so much of it depends on the other side. If you, if, if you have a, a really experienced realtor, working for the other, whether it's the buyer or the seller, usually it's so much easier. Do you find the same thing in, in law that if you- Yeah, no, I do a hundred percent, Randy, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Um, and, and you got to remember, sometimes I'm on the side of the innocent seller. And sometimes I'm on the side representing the defaulting buyer. Right. And sometimes they're a good, they're good people with the best intentions. And sometimes they're, they're not so good. And they're just trying to take advantage of a system and, you know, but, you know, but we have to, so we're on both sides of these things from time to time. Mm -hmm. So experience teaches you 
the options and, and, and the strategies and what you can try and do. And I'm dealing with some of the younger lawyers, uh, their inclination to say, oh, I'm, you know, I graduated from law school. I know what the law is. Your client's in default. We're not in default. Uh, we can sue your pants off. Like, but that's okay. So great. Go do that. How, how are you serving your client's best interests? Right. If that's all you want to talk about, we'll, we'll see you in two years. Let's have right. a conversation first about, let's exhaust all possible options and see if there's a way we can get this done. Okay. Because, because there are some things. And if we get to the point where we're done and we've finished and we've exhausted that, then, you know, go ahead. You have your, your legal rights and and remedies, but sometimes they're just not prepared to have that discussion right away and and go through the options and consider everything. Cause, cause that's my focus. And, And Randy, you made a great point. Like, like I always want there to be, a really good, competent lawyer on the other side of my transactions, especially when these transactions go off the rails like this. Mm. And, and the same thing, like you as a as a real estate agent, you want there to be a good real estate agent on the other side of your transactions. Yeah, and we've been um, at least on the real estate side, we've been kind of lulled into uh, complacency because you know we've been on such a tear for the last ten or fifteen years that there's so many agents that have never seen a down market and they're not really quite sure what to do. Uh, and it's going to be tough. I don't think we're going to get out of this in two months. Um, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I follow a few people that are saying that, you know, maybe we've even reached the plateau for interest rates. It's quite possible because this whole situation, I believe, has been driven by interest rates. I mean, the, the underlying reality is still, there's still a shortage of housing. There's still a ton of people moving here. And uh, in fact, there's maybe too many people, and I'm a pro-immigration guy, but there seems to be no coordination as to, well, wait a minute, if we let in half a million people per year, we got to make sure there's places for them to live, whether it's to rent or to buy. There's no, there's no coordination. And, you know, I'm pro-immigration. We're all immigrants, all of us, you know, our right. parents or grandparents, whatever. Um, but there seems to be, I understand where the feds are coming from. I do. Um, to increase our population, we've got a huge country. There's a lot of space here. But if you're going to let in half a million people a year or more, I heard with Ukrainian refugees this year, the actual number was 700,000 people have been admitted to Canada this year in 2022. And they didn't really take the time to look around and say, well, wait a minute, where are we going to put these people? So I'm, I'm digressing here. I'm digressing. But my, no. point, my point is that underneath this rise in interest rates, uh, which you know we could, we could talk about that, but people that are way smarter than me are still trying to grapple with why we have so much so-called inflation, whether it's supply chain disruptions or the war in the Ukraine, or whether it's a response to COVID with all the money that they print. I don't know. All I know is that they've decided that they want to beat down inflation. So they raise the rates. Uh, there is a case to be made that they may be pretty much done in terms of uh, increasing rates right now. But I've also heard from several people that know uh, that, rates don't typically go down right away. They're going to plateau for a while. It could be six months. It could be a year so or more. So we might be looking at 5% interest rates or whatever, uh, four and a half, five, five and a half. For, they're not going to go back down to 1% again. Or no. less than, I don't no. think so. So it's the new reality and we all have to deal with it. Um, this is great though. This is great to hear because again, most of the time they say, well, we're going to let the lawyers deal with it, but nobody really knows what the lawyers do. Um, one of the things that I say to buyers and sellers is if you want to be safe, try to get a short closing. You know, don't, don't take a six-month closing. Try to get a one-month closing because, again, you've got this 
this risk if prices go down or up or whatever, or rates go up, the shorter the closing, usually the, usually the safer the deal has been my experience. Uh, what advice would you give right now to, let's talk about sellers uh, in terms of accepting an offer. Is there something, some advice from a, a legal standpoint that you could give to sellers? Uh, they want to sell their house. And oftentimes, especially if there's more than one uh, transaction, it's like dominoes. If, you know, if, if one fails to close, it can have an effect on what the, the seller was going to buy and, and further, further down the road. Is there some piece of advice that you could give a seller or a buyer uh, about how to protect themselves in a, in a market that has some risks in it built in right now? Well, I think the best advice I can give anybody, and this isn't unique to, to your podcast today, Randy, you've probably heard me talk about this before because you know, you know that I, I do a lot of seminars and webinars you um you know some for consumers first-time home buyers and things like that but a lot of it is is to real estate agents and and i'm always encouraging the real estate agent it's the same advice to anybody that's a buyer or a seller out there the number one thing that you should do is make sure you've got a good team of people involved in this Yes. Okay. And that includes the real estate agent, you know, Randy Seltzer, okay, who understands what he's doing. It includes, and it's usually, that's where it usually starts. Okay. Cause it's usually with someone like you're, you get on board and then you're helping to build the rest of the team for them well, because they, they need a lawyer to be involved. Okay. From the beginning, not just after everything is signed and, and everything, because you never know when issues are going to come up. Right. So you want to have you need a lawyer and you need a good, competent mortgage broker involved these days. Okay? You're, you're going to need a home inspector. Yes. You're going to need someone to provide insurance for the property. Yep. So you have to start building that team of trusted professionals that can work together and understand the team concept. And we're very focused on that in our office. Like uh, and, and I think, Randy, you would attest to we're always in support of the real estate agents that we're dealing with. We have a common client. We have a common buyer or a common seller. So I'm the lawyer, you're the agent. We're working together for the same client, right? So I want to support you and make sure you're doing anything I can do to help you do your job better. I want to be there for you. Anything you could do to help me through my job, then I need that feedback and that information from you. So you have to be able to work as a team. You need number one, you need good, competent people to build that team yep. and then and trusted people. And you need them to work well together, not like, OK, as soon as something goes bad, we're going to throw somebody on the bus. So I'm going to say, oh, you got a lousy mortgage or oh, your agent didn't do this. Like I, I'm never talking that way about them. It's if I think Randy that you didn't do something, you didn't think something. My instinct is to call you, or to write you, or say, "Hey, did you consider this? Here's the situation. This is what we have to do." So either you got to speak to their agent, or I got to speak to their lawyer. I'm not looking for you to make a mistake, so there's someone to blame, or or looking for the mortgage. <laughs> we have to, you have to have a proper team that can work together as a team. So that's my major advice to anybody. I, I so appreciate you for saying that. I really do. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear you guys have been around for many years. I know you were, you were thriving when I started in 1993, 94. And uh, there's a reason that you're still thriving and you've got a lot of lawyers working in your, you've, what, how many offices you got now? Three? Well, we're up to seven lawyers now and, and everybody's doing real estate. Like this is what we do. We're, we're really, ah, okay. I describe us as a real estate boutique. We do a lot, you know, a lot of volume, 
residential real estate transactions, purchase sales, refinances. And we also do a lot of commercial work too. Yes. And, you know, commercial purchases uh, and some corporate work. And, the, and, and we, we have three offices and it were our main office you mentioned before in Mississauga, or that's our head office where we've been for about 40 years already. Know it well. And, and we have an office in Markham, uh, Woodbine and Steeles area, and then one in central Toronto or Bathurst and Lawrence area. And I always tell everybody, you know, wherever there's a Tim Hortons, I have an office. Don't meet <laughs> anybody anywhere. <laughs> or Starbucks, you know. Sorry, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, but it's so true. And I, I absolutely agree with what you said about having a team of, uh, of professionals. One thing I will say, and this is unsolicited here uh, for anyone listening in, if you're looking for a lawyer, uh, try and you're for a real estate matter find a lawyer that specializes in real estate, because I've also run across this where, uh, you know, it could be someone who does mostly family law or immigration or something. And then they're just friends or something. And they, they get that lawyer to do uh, some, a real estate transaction, but it's not something that they primarily do may not right. be the, may not be the best, uh, the best plan. Find somebody who right. specializes because they know, like you guys know, I would just implicitly trust you, you know, instantly what to do. Yeah. And, and that lawyer that's doing a little bit of real estate because he's really an immigration lawyer or he's a litigation lawyer, but he'll do. Right. If the deal goes smoothly and everything goes routinely, he might be able to get it closed. Right. But it's when the transaction goes off the rails, like what we've been talking about today. Right. That's when you really understand how good the lawyer or the law firm is. And it's not just the lawyers. It's the quality of law clerks. Like I take so much pride in the quality of law clerks that we have in our office because they're in the trenches and we got some great people there that really understand it. And they, yeah, they can close deals that are routine and, you know, and they can handle a high volume, but they all step up and know how to deal with stuff when, when it's, when the transaction is difficult. You guys have been so flexible and not just your office, but lawyers in general with COVID, uh, the, the pandemic created so many changes uh, for real estate closings for sure. I mean, we've had just, we finally got through that, I guess. I hope, I hope it's done. Uh, but so many things had to change with that. I mean, I remember yeah. the old days, man. You, you had to be there in person, you know, and witnessed and everything. Now yeah. everything's done. Well, not everything, but a lot of things are done just online. Well, yeah, the reality is, Randy, we, you know, we just talked about our three offices. Mm. We could get rid of all the offices if we wanted to and not have any office space and let everybody work remotely the way we're now set up electronically and a lot of this you know we started this process even before covid we were we were determined to be to get paperless in our office and we did for the most part before covid hit so when covid hit we were well suited to deal with stuff we we, could, we were already able to work remotely we can deal with everything everything got scanned everything was electronic and then we developed a, a really terrific way to meet clients to sign documents and it's through a process looks you know just like this it's through a video conference we send an email to them they have to click on one link they just click on it it opens up a video conference that's recorded so everybody knows exactly what the conversation was and the documents come up and they sign the documents electronically through their tablet or on their smartphone Amazing. just by with their finger and when they're finished, we, you know, we push a couple buttons, they get copies of the documents instantly. I get copies of the documents instantly. It's saved in our files. We can send it to the lender. Everybody's got it. It's, a, it's an amazing system. So we don't really have to meet people in person anymore. 
That's so that's sort of the good news. The bad news is I don't get to meet people in person very often anymore. Like I really miss that. Yeah, it's, you know, that's funny you say that. Um, I, I guess I'm old school. Uh, I used to like doing offers person to person where you'd be in the person's house, you'd be at their kitchen table because um, you'd get to meet the seller. Let's say if you're working for the buyer, you get to meet that seller at their kitchen table and you could pick up so much information just from sitting there watching their interactions uh, now everything is just emailed in and you don't have that. Right. You, know, you can't see. I, I, I can remember one in particular where I knew there was something wrong there. I knew they had to sell. I just felt it. And so we came in a little bit aggressive and, and it worked. It was yeah. just it, 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 it's hard to put into words. But if you're just emailing stuff around, it is hard. And I miss the, the person to person interaction as well. Yeah, so, I do, too. But I think the way the market has shifted you as agents have to work a little bit differently oh, for time. your buyer and seller clients in terms of how you negotiate an agreement of purchase and sale. And I really worry about some of the younger agents. And I talk to them about that one, this all the time when I'm doing webinars and seminars, especially this fall, because a lot of those agents that started in the last three or four years yeah. have been, have grown up in a market where it's just, you're putting in an offer. It's just best price wins. Yes. No conditions on anything. You pick your closing date, you pick your purchase price, you submit an offer and a, and best price wins. So they haven't learned and developed the skills to really negotiate an agreement of purchase and sale and to negotiate those condition clauses. That's and, and, right. You know, but you, on the other hand, have, have experienced uh, that. So you've been through that type of market and then you, you're in that multi-offer market. So you deal with that. But now we're back to really what's more of a normalized market. You know, that multi-offer bid market is not a normal market. That was the unusual market. Okay. We're now in a much more normal market, although a little quieter than we'd all like, but it's a much more normal market. So now you have an offer. You can go in as an agent. You can, you can negotiate conditions and you have to go back. You have to learn those skills as an agent to sit across the table or it might be through a Zoom or or, or electronic, but there's still going to be way more back and forth in the negotiation of these agreements of purchase and sale. And you have to be more creative. And the younger agents don't know how to do that. So they have to learn that now. The veterans like yourself, Randy, just, yeah, I know Jura how to- Jurassic era veterans. Yeah, Jurassic era. Okay. <laughs> be nice now. Come on. <laughs> right. But, but you know how to do that, right? So well, you've got an advantage- we did over those that. over those agents because that's the market we're in. I think so, it is. and that's important for any buyer or seller to out there that's should you know be considering. You know, is my agent capable of doing that? Because if I got an agent that started a year ago, they've never done that. Thank you. You know, Thank they, you they eventually, hopefully, they'll learn that skill, but they don't know how to do it yet. Hmm. Okay, um, they don't know how to be creative and, and um, how to just pick up the phone and talk to the other side. And see if you can persuade them for reasons that have nothing to do with the purchase price or why they should accept your client's offer or consider it at least. Right. Thank you for saying that. That's uh, right on the money for sure. Um, so what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, you, you're seeing it all right now um, for the market going forward. Um, I realize you're a real estate lawyer. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here and it's not really fair. Um, but what are your thoughts for uh, 2023? Do you see things, a continuation of where we're at today? Do you th see things perhaps deteriorating a little more? Or do you see things improving a little? Uh, how do you see the market going forward right now? 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to answer it this way. Like I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. Nobody does. But, yeah. but I do know that every year that I've been practicing law and, and you know, folks on, on the residential real estate market, commercial real estate's a whole different ballgame. It doesn't have a season, right? Residential real estate sort of has a season and it's, this, you know, it's the spring and the summer and and the early fall. And every year that I've been practicing, we start getting quieter in December and January and February. And then it starts to ramp up a little bit in March. And we're getting a little busier. And then April's a little busier. And by May, we're really busy. Yep. Okay. And that's just the normal residential real estate market. So, yes, we had a very a relatively quiet fall, which was unusual because the market came to a halt pretty much. But now we're already in the middle of December when we're normally pretty quiet. January is going to be quiet and February is going to be quiet. And I'm just hoping with great anticipation that we get to the spring, we're going to see that usual ramp up. So that's what I'm sort of hoping for and expecting. But I don't have the crystal ball. But I can tell you something. We had a um, an economist on the, the podcast that you mentioned earlier, the David and David podcast a little while ago. David and David, yes. Yeah. So we put that question to him, like, you know, what's the story with the interest rates and what do you foresee of the market and everything? So I'll just share a couple things that that, that he gets because he's got a better crystal ball than than I certainly had. So and, and this is probably still one or two interest rate hikes ago. I don't remember the exact timing we had him on, but yeah. but I said Sim like it, like what's a, a normal interest rate? Like where should the interest rates end up being? Mm-hmm. And and he said, well, first of all, interest rates will never be should never be down at like two percent. Like that's not a normal thing at all. That was an unusual market. That was the the aberration. Like you know, interest rates in a normal market, he said, should be somewhere between four percent and eight eight percent. So he said he wouldn't be surprised to see the rates get pushed up and maybe maybe it'll get up to 8% or something close to it. But it might not, yeah. but it'll be it'll end up being somewhere in there. But even if it gets pushed to eight or even over it, it's likely to then come back down. And he said, and if it gets up that high, probably by next summer it's going to come back down again. And it'll probably settle somewhere in, you know, in the five, six percent. He said, you know, because it should be, you know, in a when interest rates are higher, that you're getting closer to seven, eight percent. When interest rates are lower, you're around four to five percent. Yep. But he said, forget about it coming back down to two percent. Like that was not normal. That's not really good for the economy. So that's why they're trying to get the rates back up to those rates. The problem is we have so many people that that financed while the rates were low yep. at two percent that when they come up for renewal three to five years later, and the, and the rates even at 5%, which should be a normal interest rate, they think, oh my God, I just went from 2% to 5% and more than doubled. Right. But it should never have been 2% in the first place. So you know that was the, their windfall at that time. Well, and I, I had a conversation with a mortgage broker a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying, well, you know what? She's sympathetic to these people that, that have to renew. Uh, she says, but you have to remember that they were all stress tested. All of them pretty well were stress tested right. at 5.25%. So in theory, unless they've gone out and bought, you know, a, a yacht or a big boat or new cars and stuff, in theory, they should be able to weather a five and a quarter percent uh mortgage rate. But of right. course, that's so 
That's the theory. Anyway. Right. So what sort of happens has to happen in the market. And again, this is some of the information I got from him as much as, as my crystal ball is everybody has to just understand what that new norm is going to be and where it's likely to end up. Cause anybody that's out there saying, you know, I would have bought a house because it was 2%, but now it's going to be a, it's 5%. So I got to wait till it's back to 2% before I could buy my house. They're never buying a house. Right. Right. It's not going to happen. So they have to shift what they're going to do. So maybe they were, you know, at 2%, they could afford a million dollar property, but the rate's going to be at 5%. So maybe they can only, if you do the math, maybe they can afford a $900,000 property. So they got to just find a different property. Okay. But the reality might also be that that million dollar property is now 900,000. So they might end up with the same property because they're with a higher, they're paying a higher interest rate on their mortgage, but they're, they paid less to acquire that property. Right. So So there's going to be an adjustment in the market that way. I think sellers need to make an adjustment too. Most of them have are pretty well aware that we're in a different world now, but there's still a few of them out there who think it's still January and uh, I deal with them. They call (laughs) in and say, well, wait a minute, you know, my neighbor sold for 1.8. Yeah. Well, that was in February and uh, that's not going to work today. Right. uh, It's just a hard reality. Yeah, so so that's why I'm I'm still very hopeful that there's going to be a bounce back to the market because first of all there always is. Second of all, we're in the GTA, which is a very unique real estate market in anywhere. Anywhere. You know, and like you mentioned before with the immigration thing, you know, people once they come here, it doesn't matter where they immigrated from or, or where they came from, once they're in the GTA, nobody wants to leave. It's true. Which is why we have a shortage here. Everybody wants to stay here and they want to raise their kids here and their kids don't want to leave either. They want to stay here and buy properties and yeah, and and other people that, that even immigrate to other parts of Canada because, they because they're not accepted to right. here. So there's jobs. There. Some of them still have a plan that eventually they want to come here. That is true. So we have a very unique market in the GTA for that purpose. There's been other times where there's been real real estate recessions in other places all over North America, and it didn't happen in the GTA, or it happened to a lesser extent here, or we bounced back faster. So I'm very hopeful that, you know, that's going to keep happening here, because there's always going to be a supply, I mean, a demand, you know, there's there's always a high demand. The question is, you know, is, is, can the government react fast enough? And I know there's, they're trying to do it to increase the supply. Yes. And how long is that going to take? I think well, until we increase the supply, we're always going to have this, you know, these high prices here. CMHC came out with a with a report just a couple months ago, and that report said that they believe that Southern Ontario needs 1.5 million new homes, new residences to house the people that should be living here. 1.5 million new houses yeah. and condos. How yeah. long is is that ever going to happen? Or if it does happen, how long will it take? But right. So yeah, if, so right, if you can snap your fingers and we had that tomorrow, we're okay. We're okay. The prices are going to stum- come down to some more realistic numbers. We've got more people that are happy. The market's booming and et cetera. Right. But th- that's going to take some time. But in the meantime, you know, and, and again, it's this is sort of going back. It's not my crystal ball. It's it's an economist who actually knows something. So So he was sort of describing what we were going through with the slowdown in the market or this halt in the market, whatever you want to call it. Like that it's more of a pause, 
Like this isn't going to be a permanent thing. Oh, I like that. Just, just buyers and sellers are just going through this period of uncertainty for a bunch of factors. There's still people that want to buy and there's still people that want to sell. There's a whole bunch of them. There's tons. So of yep. in a certain market, they would have done it already this fall, but now they're not. So we're going to get to next spring. They still want to buy or they still want to sell. They're just trying to figure out what they can afford. Okay. I think when the they, market, they got it, you know, and it's it, what's the interest rate going to be? What if I, that's the rate? What can I afford to buy? And do I have confidence I'm still going to have my job next David, year? David, I think you're absolutely right. And I think when the market does turn, and it will, I think it's really going to pop because I think there's a lot of pent up demand. I have a, a whole bunch of people that were going to sell this fall and they decided to wait. And there right. are buyers out there that are ready to buy, but they're just there's uncertainty, especially when the rates are still going up. If they plateau and they and people think, okay, well, that's it, I think you're gonna see things take off again. I right. really do. And yeah, like yeah. like the reasons for wanting to buy or wanting to sell haven't changed. That doesn't go away. The only change has been the interest rates. That's it. Everything, all the other fundamental stuff about the local economy, you know, it's pretty strong. We're not just a one-horse town here. Uh, right. You know, like a Detroit or something where you got one industry, we got tons of different industries and they all seem to be doing okay, unless there's some cataclysmic thing that happens in the world. But in, if that happens, then we're all screwed anyway. So what difference does it make? But uh, yeah, no, I think the future's bright. I think people just have to yeah. keep their heads so, and so have what, a good so life. I see clients, the clients that are buying right now, when I talk to them, they've just adjusted how they're looking at it and they've they adjusted their budget. Because they thought maybe if I had a 2% interest rate and this is the house we could afford, but that we had to do, it's a resale, we're going to do certain renovations, and then we got to go buy some furniture. And now they're redoing the math because saying, oh, yeah, that couch that we were going to buy yeah, is now 4% more. And some of that renovation that we're going to spend you know, with inflation that might cost us 3% or 5% or 8% more. So... We still want to do it, but we're not going to do the whole renovation that we wanted to do. So we're going to do a little bit smaller renovation, get certain furniture, live with some of the furniture that we have, but but still do our transaction and then bide our time. And then a year or two or three years later, then we might do the rest of the renovation or we might replace some furniture. So at some point, they're just adjusting their budget, adjusting what's manageable to them. And once they're comfortable with that and comfortable that they, that they still have a job because they're expecting to get a, you know, they have a job. They may be expecting to get a certain bonus mm. by the end of 2022 that, that didn't happen. They may be expecting to get a raise for next year and that didn't happen. And we got a lot of people dealing with that too. They may, they were going like gangbusters in their business the first half of 2022. It's, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get a bonus. I'm going to get a raise for next year. Look at all how busy we are. And all of a sudden, the last six months of the year, they're, they're doing nothing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there is no bonus and there is no raise, but they still want to do the transaction. So they got to just find a different transaction or a different way to do it, re recalculate, reassess, find what's comfortable and manageable, and then they'll go ahead. So I think there's a bunch of people that we get to the spring are going to have that figured out and then away they go. Right. Last thing I'm going to mention is uh, I saw you on another uh, presentation recently, as you know, uh, and you had said something that that resonated with me is that nobody can really time the market to the to the exact point. People say, well, I'm going to wait till if I'm a buyer, I'm going to wait till the prices are down and then they start coming up again. Nobody can time it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, we're at a point now where prices are down and from a buyer's perspective, it's kind of an attractive time. And I don't want to sound like a salesman here. There's no more bidding wars right now. That, that in itself is a huge plus if you're a buyer where, well, there's the odd one that are usually engineered by an agent who deliberately prices that house too low. So that created a war, but 99% of the time, there's no more bidding wars. So if you're a buyer and you're out there and you're thinking, you know, take a look at it and yes, do your due diligence. Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier about reading the fine print. I remember a year ago, people with condos were not even looking at the status certificate. They didn't, even if it was available, it's just, well, it's okay. You know, we don't need to worry. Let's get our bid in there a hundred over asking and give them the, you know, give them the closing they want. Now do your due diligence, read the fine print, whether it's a mortgage document or a status certificate or whatever agreement of purchase and sale, any clause, and know that you cannot time the market to the exact dollar where, oh, this is the lowest point. If you, anybody who buys at the absolute lowest point, it's pure luck. Or anybody who sold yes. at the absolute peak, it was pure luck because nobody could really. Yeah, it, it's no different than trying to time the stock market. Exactly. You, know, you, you can't. Yeah. You know, occasionally someone might get a tip, but even those tips don't mm. materialize most of the time. And they're not supposed to be getting those tips in the first place. <laughs> uh, but you can't time it. Sometimes you just get, you just get lucky. Yeah. So if you're buying a property because it's to live in, like yeah. it's really going to be your home, you know, then you, what you should be focused on, is you're buying a home. You're not just buying real estate. The good news is it's going to be a good investment. Even if you bought a home today for a million dollars and the market still tanks for the next six months or a year, and, and then at some point you say, oh, you know, all, all the comparables are now at 800,000, I think I just lost the value of 200,000 my home. You're not selling it, you're living in it. By the time you go to sell it, in your normal course of your life, of when yep. you wanna sell, and it's three years from now, or it's five years from now, or it's 10 years from now, it's gonna be up in value. It's gonna be go up in value. It will so turn out to be a good investment. The best okay? investment. The if best you don't investment. buy, you you have a missed opportunity. Well, listen, David, thank you so much, man. It's a wonderful, uh, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast today. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime if I can pry you away from the David and David podcast. <laughs> but I wish you uh, all the best. Have happy holidays. And thank you again uh, for being here today. It was a wonderful talk. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Randy, a- I really appreciate it. I th- first of all, thank you. <laughs> again for the invitation it's a pleasure to come on you know, I anytime pull- i get anytime i get to talk to you whether it's casually at a at a party or at a seminar or in person it's always it's always a pleasure to talk to you randy thank you, thank you. and and i'm really I think you're doing a great job with these podcasts and and keep it up and and everybody well, that's listening is, is learning stuff from a from a real pro and it's an honor for me to be on here oh, and contribute to it and, and anytime Anytime, let me know what topic, what you want to discuss. Love having a chit chat with you, whether it's off camera, on camera, with a mic, no mic, anytime. Okay. I'm there for you. Be careful what you promise. (laughs) (laughs) I'll deliver. deliver. I know you will. I know you will. Thanks again, David. And uh, thank you for being on board today. And uh, we'll we'll see you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast. Follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And check out our main website at randyselzer.com for much more valuable info on the Canadian real estate scene.